jump to verse 11. I can get my... Glasses here. All right. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. That is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then verse 11. So responding to this, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare. But here I am dying in hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, what was going on? He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. 
But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So when I say the word grace, what comes to mind for you? The word grace. Philip of Grace. <laughs> yes. This is all about you. <laughs> so yes. So Pippa Grace comes to mind. Uh, what else comes to mind with the word uh, grace? So an image that popped into my head this week was of Grace Kelly. And it's kind of an odd image. She's not exactly of my generation, but she was an American actress in the mid-20th century, uh, famously married to the Prince of Monaco. And uh, the movies that I saw her in, let's see, the, the big one was uh, Rear Window, right? Uh, with, uh, that was with Cary Grant, right? Yeah? yeah. Jimmy Stewart, oh, that's right, Jimmy Stewart. See, it's a little, it's not exactly my generation. But I think, you know, the reason why her image popped into my mind is because she seems to embody, you know, at least her public image really embodied that, that quality of grace. It has uh, poise, right? It has a certain uh, confidence to it. But also, um, you know, um, Welcome, playful, right? Has a certain light quality to it. Um, maybe there are other images that come to your mind, maybe of uh, artists, of, of dance, or in music we have grace notes, right? These little uh, flourishes that uh, give uh, the music an extra special something. Maybe it's something that uh, sometimes grace notes are improvised, right? Yeah. And so there needs to be a certain uh, confidence and facility with the music. Um, you know, perhaps uh, images from nature uh, might call to mind grace. Grace points to an attitude of openness and trust. Curiosity, confidence. Grace makes space for us to be our best selves. In the Christian uh, understanding of grace, grace is a free gift. It's the free gift of God's love to us, unconditionally. 
regardless of what we've done, whether we feel like we deserve it or not. And when I, um, I, I think we all can agree that uh, a little more grace in our lives would be welcome. Who of you, who of you was, is not, would not welcome uh, more grace in your life? And that's the sense that I'm getting as I listen to folks here at First Church, as I get to know you all, that um, reflecting back together on um, the recent past, or even on years gone by, reflecting back together on this uh, time of uh, COVID that we've all gone through, uh, when sometimes... um, we haven't been our best selves, right? I mean, many of us have probably seen uh, the videos of um, people, adult human beings, throwing tantrums uh, in the grocery store (laughs) over masks or on an airplane, right? We haven't always been our best selves. And a little more grace would be welcome. And my message to, for us, I think God's message for us this morning is that we can learn to extend grace to each other. We can be instruments of God's grace. We can find more grace in our lives by making, by being gracious people. And our story today has a few things to say about that. So let's talk about getting to grace. Our story this morning is commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son. It could also be understood as the parable of the father's grace, because really the prodigal son isn't the central figure to the story. It's the father. And there are two particular grace moments in the story that I want us to pay attention to. The first one is the father's interaction with the younger son. And the second one is the father's interaction with the older son. And the father extends grace to both of his children, but in very different ways. So that's one thing that we can learn about grace. Grace sees the individual in front of you, right? God's grace is tailored perfectly to each one of us because each one of us is different and has different needs. And so the father, in interacting with these two sons, shows two very different sides of grace. The younger son comes to the father and says and asks for his share of the inheritance 
And how does the father respond? He just gives it to him. Like, there's, there's no words, there's no like, are you sure about this? There's no resistance on the father's part. There's no question about why do you want this money? The father just gives. Now, this was not the normal procedure in ancient times, even as it would be seen probably even today as a little bit unusual. Normally, children receive their inheritance after the parents pass. So the father would have been perfectly within his rights. And in fact, maybe, I don't know, the story doesn't tell us. What did the neighbors think? What did the neighbors say? I mean, certainly there is this son that turns out to not be, not put his part of the inheritance to good use, but there's also this father, this permissive father. who would do something as irresponsible as give away half the legacy before he's even in the grave. To me, that says two things about grace. First of all, that in this particular uh, instance, grace is an unconditional gift. Someone has to make the first move. When you find yourself with that uh, person in front of you who's making the request, who's asking for your attention, who's asking for your opinion, who maybe has an opinion different from yours, who comes from a different perspective. Clearly, the son and the father had very different perspectives on the situation. Grace just says yes. Unconditionally. And that this may come as a surprise. This is unusual. Jesus was our prime example of what it means to live with grace. Remember at the beginning of the passage, Luke tells us that the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling. Why? Because he eats with tax collectors and sinners and welcomes them. And when Jesus, after living a life, a grace-filled life of extending himself and giving of himself unconditionally, then found himself hanging on a cross. What does he say about those who had put him there? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then when the thief who is hanging next to him says, remember me when you come into your kingdom, what does Jesus say? Today you will be with me in paradise. The Apostle Paul writes that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
God doesn't wait for you to get your act together to love you. God doesn't wait for you to do the right thing to love you. God doesn't wait for you to um, anything. <laughs> God's grace is simply given. And we can do that with those around us as well. God embraces our imperfection. Can we do that with each other? That's the question. Can we embrace the one who has the wrong opinion? Can we embrace the one who has the wrong idea? Can we embrace the one who says something that offends us. Which brings me to the second thing I want to focus on for our scripture today. Jesus tells us that there is a second son working in the fields. And when he hears the sounds of celebration from the house, this, the responsible one, the future leader of the family, um, calls his father out. When he learns that his father has killed the fatted calf to celebrate the return of his good-for-nothing younger brother, in fact, he doesn't even call him his brother. When he confronts his father, he says, Your son! <laughs> Maybe some of you have... Uh, recognize that sort of language. Uh, maybe sometimes that you've overheard that. I mean, I'm sure it wouldn't happen in any of, any of the families represented here. But I've heard it said, I've heard sometimes people say, your mother, right? Your son has squandered property with prostitutes. And you have never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. This is not fair. Everyone knows, everyone knows that good behavior is rewarded and bad behavior is what? And you did just the opposite. Have you ever felt that way? Offended. That is what the son, that is the energy that this son brings to his father. And he is right. He is sure he is right. Have any of you ever had a conversation with someone who was sure that they were right? Have any of you ever been sure that I am right? And how does the father respond with grace to this son? Son, you are always with me. So this has a double meaning here. The first meaning, the surface meaning, is simply that the graceful response is to agree. I am right. Yes, you are right. You are right, my responsible son. You are always with me. Yes, you are right. 
Have you, I mean, that is, I'm suggesting for you, if you ever find yourself in that situation, to try that. I mean, it may seem, you know, unnatural, it may seem awkward, but when you are confronted with someone who is sure that they are right, is there some piece of what they're saying that you can say, you know what, you're right. Can you imagine how disarming that would be? What? You're agreeing with me? But you're of the wrong political party. You're messing with my head right now. <laughs> Cut it out. <laughs> you're right. My son, you are always with me. But there's a deeper theological meaning to what's going on here too. The Father is saying to us, you are always with me. Nothing you can do, nothing you can say, nowhere you can go will separate you from my love. And you know what? That's true for you, older son, and that is true for your brother as well. You are always with me. So, Here's my point. One of my uh, spiritual directors many years ago actually um, gave this very, what I find very helpful kind of physical uh, metaphor for what's going on here. Uh, she called it, we need to have, in order for grace to manifest, we need to have a strong back and a soft front. And you can actually, I mean, if you act, you know, you've heard some of this, if, if it's difficult for you to get to that space of grace, especially in the heat of the moment, you can actually try imagining that. Think of you having a strong back and a soft front because the one, re one of the things that makes it so difficult for us to engage in conflict and in difficult conversations is because we're so afraid of losing something that is precious and sacred and important to us. But what the Father is teaching us is that if your foundational principle is simply love, no one can ever take that from you. You can engage in all sorts of conversations with all sorts of people who are, have viewpoints and opinions and radically different from yours. And you don't have to get upset. You don't have to get defensive. You don't have to fight back. You don't have to fight back because your fundamental principle, what you are grounded in, is something that can never be taken away. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, we can disagree without being disagreeable. And we can risk 
speaking our truth with love, knowing that God's love will never let us go. And with God's help, we can get to grace. Amen.